Good morning. We're going to be in Psalm 121 today. Psalm 121. While you're turning there, by a show of hands, who in this room has to have some sort of correction to their vision in order that they can see rightly? Raise your hand. Show of hands. Yeah. Keep them up. Let me see. I can't. I have to have my vision corrected too. I would say. So what do you say? That's probably what about oh, eighty-five percent, ninety percent have to have vision corrected. I have to. You can put your hands down. I have to have my vision corrected as well, pretty extensively. Okay. Uh, I even. I'm so much so that on the back of my. I have the thing on the back of my driver's license that if I get pulled over and I'm not wearing glasses or contacts, they could like further. It's a further violation because, well. Uh, I'm like one, one step removed away from this guy probably shouldn't be driving a vehicle. I've, I have bad eyes. So literally, this is literally a session this morning of the blind leading the blind, right? You like that? It's a little, little dad joke to start you off this morning. But yes, uh, when you take out your contacts, when I take out my contacts, or you take off your glasses, the world doesn't actually gl- get blurry, right? The world doesn't blur because you take your corrective lenses off it stays the same as it is. It doesn't just get blurry because that's how you perceive it, right? It doesn't, you taking your glasses off does not alter reality. When I was a child, I used to draw, you know, like most kids do, but I actually drew trees when I drew trees and like drawings and stuff for my mom. I would draw a, a, just a green blob for the leaf section of the trees because that, I needed glasses when I was a kid even. I didn't have them. I wasn't old enough to be able to articulate that yet. So that was how I perceived them, and so that's how I drew them. And then when I got corrective lenses, I was, my mom noted to me once, she said, you know, you used to do this, and since you've got glasses, you're really very particular about putting individual leaves on trees. Now, the trees always had individual leaves, right? They weren't a green blob always just because little kid Kurt was perceiving them that way. Reality has always been that way. I was simply just catching up to speed with what was going on. In much the same way, Psalm 121 serves as corrective lenses to the child of God who is prone to lose sight of a very important fact. Here it is. God keeps those he saves. God keeps those he saves. That's really the main point of Psalm 121, as we're going to read here in just a moment. The Lord is keeping the saints Though we often lose sight of it, and though we often uh, wander, so prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, God is still keeping the saints. The psalmist uses imagery and language to express and emphasize this truth. Why? Because in our fallen sinful state, it is very easy to lose sight of. If we don't understand and see our God as the keeping God described to us in the whole of the scriptures, then we will fundamentally misunderstand core characteristics of God and lose out on the blessed assurance that we just sang about a few moments ago and hope of the gospel in itself. So let's read. There's just eight short verses in Psalm 121. Let's read those together now. It says, A Song of Ascents, and we'll talk about that here in just one second. My Help Comes from the Lord is the title. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. May God bless the reading of his word and may we be built up because of it. Psalm 121 is one of the 15 songs of ascent. Ascent, ascent as in going up which were sung by worshipers who were on their way to the temple in Jerusalem. It reflects the joy of God's people as they see and they approach this great city that was set atop a mountain, right? Jerusalem was higher in elevation. It sat on Mount Zion, so to speak, up on a hill elevated from the the surrounding barren wilderness around it, all right? And it it serves several purposes in that way. Number one, it, it... it was a city set on a hill, so sort of as a witness. This was metaphorical for God's people. It was the capital of God's people, and God's people, above all other things, were a witness to the watching world of the glory and greatness of the one true God. And also, it, was very, it would have been very difficult to lay siege to this city and take it. It would take vast armies on the outside, and not very, not very many men on the inside to actually hold this fortress because of the geography that pertains to Jerusalem. It was easy to hold on to. They always had the high ground. So contextually speaking, that first part when they say, I lift my eyes up to the hills, this is what they're talking about. It's the upward gaze of God's people as they make their pilgrimage for Yom Kippur, the, day, the holiest of holy day, where they're having cleansing as a nation. People made pilgrimages to the temple in Jerusalem. And they sang these psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. And there's an assumption here in the psalm. He asks next, after he lifts his eyes up, he asks a rhetorical question. See it? Where does my help come? From where does my help come? The assumption here is that help is required. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter from where is it coming. Whether we choose to recognize it or not, we all, like the psalmist, find ourselves in need, some sort of need. The deepest, most fundamental need being salvation from eternal punishment and separation from God. But downstream from that is going through seasons where we're just trying to put one foot in front of the other and it becomes somewhat difficult. I suspect this morning if I were to take a microphone and we were to have a little open mic time and pass it around and say, what is it that you're asking God to help you with in your circumstances? You would be, hopefully you would be honest enough to say that oftentimes we're tempted to find help and find answers, particularly when the wind is in your face in someone or something other than the Lord that the psalmist uh, who authored 121 is talking about. And that ultimately, that someone or something is not able to suffice for the help that you need. Thankfully, 
He doesn't leave us hanging out there. He doesn't ask the question and then not answer it. It's a rhetorical question. He answers his own question, and, and in doing so, he puts the glasses on. He puts the corrective lenses on about this, the character of this God and focuses in on who this God is. And he says, the Lord is my helper, lenses on, and this is why. And he spells out three pretty clear characteristics of Yahweh, of his Lord, as he lifts his eyes up to the hills. And so let's do with the psalmist this morning, let's lift our eyes up to the hills from where our help comes from. Let's put our lenses on and let's see. There's three things that he's highlighting here. He corrects our collective vision by first stating that this God is able to keep, able to help because he is creator, number one. He is able to keep, able to help because he is protector, number two. And able to keep, able to help, number three, because he is sovereign over all things goings out and comings in, for now and forevermore. Okay, so let's, let's go in. He is creator. He is creator. Where does my help come, help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who did what? Made heaven and earth. This is the God who took nothing and made everything. The ob- observable universe is mind-boggling, and the, f- and the farther we're able to see out the more mind-boggling it gets and perfectly fine-tuned is this little blue planet we call earth able to support life reflecting his glory even more than all the heavens and all the all the other planets combined is this this scientific anomaly of earth that exists to support the kind of life that exists here we haven't found it we can look way out we've not found anything even remotely close not even close reflecting his glory. And then, as a, and then at the pinnacle of that creation is mankind even further reflecting his glory in thought and creation and deed and able to reason and have morality and so on and so forth. And then the pinnacle of mankind are those who are saved as far as reflecting God's glory, his people, his children. And he spoke all of that into creation and he sustains it all Right now. He's sustaining it. Right now. Billions of stars, molecules. We're not floating too close to the sun, right? He sustains it all. He keeps it all. And so, child of God, of course, when he spoke life, he is going to sustain it. Of course he's your helper. The God who is able to accomplish all these things, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work and you shall be faithful to complete it. Why? Because that's just who he is. That's just who God is. That's what he does. This is a God of immeasurable power, completing the good work he began in you. To you might seem massive, but to the God who hung the stars in the place, it's just called Tuesday. It's easy for him. It's easy. It's effortless to him. Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? Who made the rivers that flow to the sea? And who sends the rain where the earth is dry? Someone bigger 
than you or I? Who made the flowers to bloom in the spring? Who made the song for the robins to sing? And who hung the moon in the starry sky? Someone much bigger than you or I. He lights the way when the road is long. He keeps you company and with his love to guide you. He walks beside you just like he walks with me. When I am weary and filled with despair, who gives me courage to go on from there? And who gives me faith that will never die? Someone much bigger than you or I. Someone much bigger than you or I. Second thing. So he points to God as creator, heaven and earth. Verse 3. The God that keeps his needy children, keeps them. We know he is a keeping God because he is a protector. Point two. He's a protector. And the psalmist uses two image here, two Im- uh, pieces of imagery here to help us understand this, to illustrate it to us. That of a sentry or a soldier watching guard, and also of something that creates lots of shade. I like, it doesn't say this explicitly, but I, what comes to my mind is a great big oak tree on a hot summer day. Verse 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who holds you, keeps you, keeps you. There's so many keeps in here. He will keep you, will not sleep or slumber. Slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade. Here it is, on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Although you may lose sight of your salvation, although prone to wander as you may be, The God who saved you keeps you because he never loses sight. He never slumbers or sleeps. He doesn't take breaks. It puts me in the mind of the scene atop uh, of Mount Carmel with the prophet Elijah, right? He's up there with the prophets of Baal. They're having themselves a little showdown to saying who's got the real God. And all these prophets of Baal are dancing around, being crazy, cutting themselves crying out to God, their God, their false God. And Elijah is sitting off over in the corner ostensibly, and he says to them, hey, yell a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's slumbering, and he can't hear you. And then he says some other choice things, not quite as PG, right, about their God. The God who keeps you doesn't fall asleep on the job. He is not caught unaware by anything about you or the rest of creation. He is not the soldier who sits atop the lookout tower asleep. His eyes are open, he has seen, and he is seeing you now. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching evil and good. Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. God said at the end of the Great Commission, or Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the second image, like I said, is that of taking shelter under the shade of the Lord himself, like being out in the hot sun taking a lunch break under the cool shade of a mighty oak tree. So God is refuge and respite to his people. This is part of the character of our God. It's fixed. Look at Deuteronomy 
You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never lead you nor forsake you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it or stand up under it. Oh, I love Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for, the sake we are, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Protector. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thirdly, this psalm, the God in this psalm, the Lord in this psalm that keeps, keeps his needy children because he is sovereign over everything. Everything. Last two verses. Really, it's kind of a hybrid of verse 6. Look at verse 6. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. It's a, it's a, he's using juxtaposed imagery. He shades you from all scenarios, day and night, is what the psalmist is saying here. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. More. The psalmist here is describing the watch care of God over the totality of human existence. But how are we to understand this? Let's push back a little bit. He will not let my foot be moved. He will keep me from all evil. Keep my life. Keep my going out and my coming in. That sounds an awful lot like bad things don't befall God's children. But bad things do befall God's children. So it can't mean that. We've all lived long enough to know the rigors of life. Loved ones die. We get sick. Businesses go belly up. Children disappoint us. We disappoint one another. So how does this work? Well, whenever you have this sort of seemingly um, out of, uh, somewhat out of whack. Like you, you look at the Bible and it says something and you look at reality and it seems to not be true. What you have to do is you stand back from the word of God. You get a fuller picture rather than just super focused in on one passage. You have to take passages of scripture like this in context of the whole word of God. Say to yourself things like this. How would Old Testament Joseph sing Psalm 121? How do the words of Psalm 121 sound on the lips of a man who has been thrown in a pit, stripped naked, sold into slavery, slavery, wrongly accused by Potiphar, despised by his family? Joseph, he won't let your foot be moved. He'll keep you from all evil. Huh. 
That's tough. So what's the answer? Well, the answer, thankfully, actually comes from Joseph himself. When he greets his brothers and they reunite at Gen- and Genesis 50:20 tells the story here. He says, "To his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good." In the economy of God, even the evil, even the bad, even the difficult is employed by God so that from the vantage point of eternity, God is working good. Good. And it will take eternity. It will take eternity for most of us. Most of us will take questions into eternity with us in order to get answers and understanding surrounding the sufferings that befall us in this life. We're not going to get complete clarity on exactly why this suffering or that suffering or this bad thing or this seemingly bad thing happened to us. But from the vantage point of eternity, it will be apparent that God employs evil deeds and intentions to defeat evil itself. Think about Jesus. I always think it's weird that we call Good Friday good. It's good for us, not so good for him. But in light of eternity, how good. It's good. We expect to go into the valley of the shadow of death, but you should also expect to be able to face the valley of the shadow of death because your God has said to you, there is no evil that I have not judo moved and flipped on its head for your behalf, for your good, for your sanctification, for your keeping, keeping you, keeping you. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, when Jesus is assuring his followers of God's minute care for each one of them, he talks about what? The numbers of hairs. God, he loves you and cares. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which for some of us, that's less and less all the time. But nevertheless, he knows it. And it's oft quoted by grandmothers talking to their grandchildren about how much God cares for them. And he does. But look at it in context of what he's saying. Just the verses preceding that, he's saying the hairs on the head verse in context of the fact that he just told them, you're going to get martyred. You're going to suffer. But it doesn't mean God doesn't care about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. That's the context of that verse. Don't fear those killers who might kill you the most. Fear the one who has authority to cast you into hell, are Jesus' words to end that passage of Scripture. And that God, the God that the psalmist of 121, who is calling his help, who's saying he is my help, is absolutely terrifying until he's your father. And you have faith in him. Then he won't let your foot slip. Then he won't let your soul be lost. He knows what he's doing. And what he's doing, brother or sister, hear me, he's keeping you. Keeping you.
I, I, I know the temptation. I understand the temptation of preachers. Because they, they see their people hurt, see the hurt on their faces, and they want to say things to them and give them assurances of things the Bible just simply doesn't do. I would, I would love to be able to answer your sufferings. I would, I would love. I, we, I, many of you, we've had many conversations, and I oftentimes use this. I wish I had a magic pill. I wish I had a button I could push. But I don't. The only thing I can say to you is, this present circumstance, in light of eternal glory, He's keeping you. He's using it. He's drawing you to himself. When all you have is Christ, no evil can befall your highest treasure. If my security and my confidence is in my wealth or my health or my spouse or my friends, then if you take these things, then it's an absolute disaster. But if my confidence is in the keeping God of Psalm 121, then there is nothing that can take my joy away. This is how Martin Luther was able to write these words. We're getting dangerously close to Reformation Day here. Let goods and kindred go. Kindred, kinfolk, family. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now understand with me this morning that this this wasn't and isn't intended to be some sort of cheap, sloppy, lazy, pseudo-Calvinist attempt at stroking egos and giving you the feels about your assurance in Jesus. The God of the Bible is not weak. He's not emasculated or a passive mealy-mouther who sulks about your sin and then just lets it go ho-hum. No, I would have no confidence whatsoever in the keeping power of a God like that. Thankfully, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is righteously angry about your sin. But in his grace, he sent his son to die as a pardon for those who by the quickening of the Holy Spirit would have faith in him. We are saved by grace through faith, period. Hard stop. Say it with me. We are saved by grace through faith. Period. That's it. We are kept by grace through faith. Period. Every day that you wake up still faithing, Still believing, still with an unction to follow, still with an inclination towards repentance in your heart, still searching, still working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, and he's keeping you. He's keeping you. He's keeping you. Day after day after day, breath after breath after breath, he is keeping you. If your application 
from Psalm 121 is to gain, gain and glean this keeping assurance about your salvation based upon anything about you whatsoever, then you've totally missed it. The psalmist's confidence in the keeping power of God has absolutely nothing to do with the psalmist and everything to, the, to do with the God who created, the God who protects, and the God who is sovereign over all things. And so for the one turned towards confidence in his salvation because of his own actions, the legalist, so to speak, who would find himself indignant at the actions of another and reassured of his own personal piety, you're looking too low. Lift up your eyes to the hills from where your help comes from. And to the battered sheep who doubts his salvation because he just can't believe his own weakness of will. And he just is repulsed by his own self of left, excuse me, lack of self-control. You're looking too low. Lift your eyes to the hills. From where does your help come? It help comes from the Lord. Keeping comes from the Lord. And finally, you have never known this faith, never known this help, never followed this Jesus. Lift your eyes to the hills. Because it's the only place help is coming from. He's the only God able to save. He's the only God able to shore you up. And I could give you all the apologetic arguments in the world. The most, and men far more learned than I. We, you can't, we could pile on verbs all day long. And I don't have disregard for apologetics. I think, they're in, I think it's great to, to defend the faith. I think it's a wonderful discipline to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And if you have not faithed in Jesus, you are not saved. And if you are not faithing in Jesus, you are not kept. Joy still ebbs and flows. Don't run off the rails here with me. Well, I guess I had a bad day Tuesday. I guess I'm not faithing anymore. My joy still ebbs and flows, but peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. We ebb and flow, but on the total, on the whole picture, God keeps, helps, moves, grows those he began a good work in. He will be faithful to complete. God is keeping and helping his people because that's who he is. And we worship him and we love him for it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you help us through many ways, these ordinary means of grace. You bring us before your face Sunday mornings. You gift brothers and sisters to sing and pray and preach and teach and think and draw us closer to who you are, see you more clearly. All in a supernatural act and by the power of your Holy Spirit to keep us Help us. And as the song we're about to sing says, help us now, Lord, to turn our eyes, to, re, to have our vision, put our lenses on, 
and realize there's nothing about me, there's nothing about this church, there's nothing about any individual in this room that is keeping anyone for salvation, but rather it's the great God that we worship this morning who is doing it and will keep doing it as His Scripture promises from now, for this time forth, and forevermore. Thank you for your people. Thank you for salvation. Just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.